in our Bible study on Friday nights, we are studying how to read and study the Bible. And as I was thinking about that, I recognized throughout the Bible there are certain questions that God asks specific people, but those same questions could be asked of us and apply very much to our lives. Uh, One of those questions would be when Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden, God said to them, where are you? That, That was not a question of location. God knew where they were. It was also not a question about um, anything that God needed to discover, but he was asking them to search themselves. What is going on inside that you have hidden yourself from me? Each one of us at some point in our lives have tried to hide ourselves from God as if that were possible. Another question we hear spoken of early on in scripture is also in Genesis where the Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain answered, am am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Obviously, the answer to that is, yes, you are. Each one of us are our brother's keeper. But how we answer that question speaks to what is going on inside. And again, another question was asked of Isaiah in chapter 6. When he saw God sitting on his throne, he immediately recognized his condition because when we see a holy God, we come to the place where we say like he did, I am undone. I am unclean and I come from a people that are unclean. And his lips were touched with the coal to cleanse him. And the Lord says in his voice, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah comes to the place where he says, send me. But there are many questions that we see in scripture where a question is being asked and we can look at ourselves and say that that applies to me. Um, where are you? Uh, where is your brother? Uh, who will I send? Who will go for us? First Kings Chapter 19 is a story about Elijah, and if you turn to that in your Bibles, we will read from verses 1 to verses 18, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. And it says that Ahab told Jezebel, 
everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belongs to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Hebron, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the, Lord, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they were looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. Elijah heard it, and he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. He replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to, to anoint Jehu, son of Nemsha, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Sir, um, Serphat, from Abel Maloth. 
as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to the deaf whoever escapes the sword of Aziel, and Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we hear these stories of history, things that have taken place from men and women of God and their interactions with you and the things you've called them to, it helps us to recognize that you've called us to things, Lord, that you are the same God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in eternity past and eternity present, Lord, eternity future, Lord. You are God. And the principles laid down in your word, Lord, we are to see, we are to live out, we are to understand who you are and who we are, Lord. So grant us that this day, Lord, as we go through your word. Feed us, nourish us, heal us, help us, give us hope, Lord. Give us clarity. We thank you, Lord, because it is only your living word by your spirit that this could be done. Anything of truth from you can affect our hearts, and that's what we desire. So do that this day in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I really enjoy about the Bible is, is the humanness of the people in the Bible. If, if the Bible was full of people that we could not relate to, if it was full of these champions uh, that seemed to not have fault or do wrong or have weaknesses, how could we ever think that we could do anything for God? How could we ever think that we could be used by him? But the scripture shows men and women of God that have strengths, that have weaknesses, that fall short, that need to be restored, that need to be forgiven, that need to be encouraged, and like all of us that need to be empowered by God to do anything for God. And that is so encouraging because it allows us to know that even the strongest of saints have weaknesses. I think even in our own lives, or whether it be in the church or in other areas of, in our lives, and we see people operating in their giftedness, uh, we, we say like, how can I do that? How can I compare. Every single time I'm here and I hear Don on multiple instruments, like he has like a spread of instruments that he could just like pick one up. And I remember trying to play like the recorder in school. I don't know if, uh, you know, people maybe in my age bracket, we started out playing a plastic recorder. And um, the only song I know how to play is Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I still know how to play that to this day, but that's as far as my musical abilities went. All three of my children are musicians, and I'm always trying to 
um, sing and, and, and our choir. Actually, I was doing a mic check on Friday, and I, I saw Heather and Jared, so I figured they were going to come in first. I was going to just start singing, but other people came in first, so I was like, mm, I guess auditions are not today. The, the point is, when you see someone operating in their giftedness, sometimes it kind of makes us feel inadequate. Sometimes it, it puts us in a position like, wow, that person is so gifted, uh, so talented in, in that area. You know, what, what about me, God, and, and what do I have to offer you? And, you know, our most righteous acts or as filthy rags to God, whatever we even have to offer God is, is things that he has placed in us and every single one of us have that. Um, but it is so important that we recognize it's not uh, anything special about us, but what God has done in each one of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26, it says this, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. See, God has given you a calling, and, and the calling that he gives you, he equips you for. Not many were wise from human perspectives. Not many powerful, not many noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. God has determined that he would use his people. You know, the one that didn't get picked when you were choosing up sides for teams or whatever. I'll take that one. And, and he's made uh, something great with that because of how he empowers us. And, and this story in, in with um, Elijah shows us that. We, we need to know that the best of men are still men at their best. We all have limitations. We all have the uh, ability to, to do for God those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. We all have the ability to let each other down. Psalms 118.8 said, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is in God that we put our trust. And we also have to be careful even in that, not to put our trust even in those that God are using, but to put our trust in God. That our affections for each other as brothers and sisters are, are one thing, but because someone has a certain gift, someone has a certain skill, they bring something to the table. No, we put our trust in God. We put our hope in God and the things that he was doing. Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life, the scripture says. He became afraid. God had used Elijah mightily. The reason Jezebel said she wanted to kill him was because he upstaged her God, her husband, 
and he killed her prophets. How did fear creep up in him? In the chapter, uh, two chapters before the chapter we read, in chapter 17, it speaks about Elijah, and it speaks about him boldly going to Ahab and saying to him, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who, who, in whose presence I stand, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dual reign for these years except by my command. That's a, that's a big statement. It's very rare that God has really impressed something on my heart to make a declaration in a way that was so concrete because I knew, no, this came from God. Like even when we think that at times, right, we will state it in a way like, uh, just in case it doesn't happen, you know, what I said, you know, but there are times when we know, though God deeply impressed this on my heart, and in this instance, he's going to the king and telling him what is going to happen. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, leave here, turn eastward and hide. So he went um, and entered Jordan, and he was supplied for a couple of years by ravens bringing him food and drinking water from a brook. And when that dried up, he was sent to a poor widow who was planning to eat her last meal with her child and die. And God supplied that widow in serving that prophet with oil that did not go away and flour to make bread. And even when her son got sick and died, Elijah was able to lay on the body and pray, and God restored his life and brought him back. When we go through these things with God, maybe not as dramatic but it is a building of our faith and knowing God is walking with us and the things that he's called us to do, he is empowering us. And at the same time, we can get to a place where something can happen and we can get fearful and run into the wilderness. And that's what we see in this situation. God even brought Elijah to the place where he had a showdown with him being almighty God and the God that they served, Baal. And 850 prophets came and they did all kind of things and the task was, call down fire from heaven if your God is God. They were cutting themselves and doing all kinds of things, trying to appease their false god, Baal, for fire to come down. And in that, Elijah was teasing them. 
Maybe he went on a vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap. Why, why isn't he coming? And then he, he douses his, his, his altar, and fire comes down from heaven. And then the rain comes. So with all of that taking place and watching the mighty hand of God, even this prophet can be afraid when a situation comes up and runs. And in this situation, when he runs, just think about that. He was the servant of Almighty God, and he had already shown publicly that the woman that he was running from was godless. She had no God of power. Just think about that for a minute. At times, we allow the ungodly to shake us up. Knowing the all-powerful God that we serve, we allow the ungodly forces, things to shake us up. How does that happen? That happens because there's still a prince of peace in this world, the evil one who is still here, but he's not God. But he displays a certain amount of power in this world system. So just to know, like Jezebel was the daughter of a Sidonian king, and that marriage was arranged for power, for wealth, for convenience, to make things happen, for them to be stronger. And she is the one who brought Baal worship into Israel. So... As we watch that and, and you see the decay, it came a point where when all of these prophets were gathered and they were ready to have this showdown, let's see whose God is really God, that Elijah asked the question, how long will you waver between two opinions. That is a question that each one of us has to ask ourselves. How long will you waver between two opinions? Now think about this for a minute. There were some prosperous things happening. That marriage uh, made a union where they could buy and sell and have peace and, and all of those things. But she was wicked. And she brought in a system with her and a worship with her of lies. So they, the people, are looking at this situation that's set up. And they're trying to navigate back and forth through it. Just like us sometimes. We want to we wanna worship God, but still have the benefits of these other things on this other side. So the question becomes, how long will you waver between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, then follow him. 
But of the Lord is Baal, follow him. You know what the people did? They didn't answer. They, they, they didn't speak a word. I, I'm still going to try to navigate through these two systems. You cannot live in both worlds at the same time. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot live any way you want and have God too. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. You cannot be a part-time Christian and demand a full-time God. You cannot waver between two opinions forever. You have to come to a decision. Elijah calls down fire and rain and the drought was over. You would think after that there would be a great victory. Things are going to go a certain way. But it did not turn out the way he thought it would. There are times when you are totally in God's will, in his strength, in might, and he calls you to do something, and you believe that the result is going to look a certain way. And when it doesn't, everything that took place, you start to question. He is running for his life. He goes in the wilderness. Fear will drive you to places you shouldn't be. In verse 4 it said he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life. I have had enough. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we feel like we can't take it anymore. Things are not going as planned. Results are not what we want. We believe that we're doing the right thing and the way it's falling out doesn't seem it was worth it. We start questioning if we're in God's will, did we do what God wanted? Does God care? A lot of those things can pop up. But in that, he knows our frame. He knows we're just dust. He is in control. Just because you can't see it, he can. Just when you think you're done, he's not. When you don't know what to do, he does. So he runs off into the wilderness and he finds himself in a certain place. And because of God's grace and mercy and tender patience with his children, he receives a touch from God as he slept. He not only received the touch as he was awoken, 
he receives provision. Eat and drink and sleep and eat and drink before the journey you have to go on. I'm giving you provision for you to keep going. And he did that. Says that the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, one of those questions that we have to ask ourselves. He's not asking him, what is the activity that you're engaged in? He's saying, I have ministry for you all the way over there. What are you doing over here? And like us all, we're always going to have a reason why we did what we do. We're always going to try to justify why and give an answer why we're where we are. And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altar, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking to take my life. <laughs> he didn't answer the question. He, he just gave all of these reasons about how he's been obedient and he's been righteous and there's no one else but him and nothing of it is working out and now they're trying to kill me. Elijah running, um, he was trying to save himself. Elijah responding to God, he was trying to defend himself. But, but in the end, Elijah had to finally yield himself. We must all get to the place where we realize we cannot save ourselves. We cannot defend ourselves. We must yield ourselves to him. Elijah was responding to four different messages. The enemy's message of danger. You're dead. So he responded to that message by running away. The angel's message of grace. He received provision in the wilderness. The creator's message of power. When he saw the wind and the earthquake and the fire. But God still spoke to him in a small, still voice. And the Lord's message of hope. What are you doing here, Elijah? So far away from the purpose I called you to. So far away from the ministry I called you to. Those that I called you to serve. So what did he tell him to do? The Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came in the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, I want you to go and do this and do that. Return to duty. 
retrace your steps. Is God asking you, what are you doing here? That's not a location. What's going on inside that you aren't performing the things that I've called you to do? Where are you? What's going on inside? Those are questions we have to ask ourselves. Worship team, please come up. Like Adam, the question is, where are you? Like Cain, the question is, where is your brother? Like Elijah, the question is, who will go for us? It coincides with the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? See, because when we can clearly state who Jesus is and all that means for us, it actually answers, where are you? Where is your brother? Who will go? When we can answer the question, who do you say I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? What's going on inside of you? The answer to that question tells you every other answer to those other questions. We're going to, um, we're going to take communion. I want us to reflect why we sit and listen to this song in a time of self-examination, those questions that God has for each one of us. What is going on inside? Like Jesus asks, who do you say I am? What was it that Elijah needed? He needed that touch from God where it states in his word that he was touched by the angel of the Lord. That was Christ himself showing up in the Old Testament. How often do we need to be refreshed? Do we need a touch from God where he gives us provision, where he helps us to know He's there. That he's got us covered. Puts us back on the right path. He's holding on to us when we want to let go. It's never been displayed any greater than the sacrifice on the cross. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us in verse 27 that we need to self-examine. Communion is for the believer. It is for us to 
remember what Jesus did for us is for us to take stock, for us to ask that same question, what's going on inside, for us to come clean, present ourselves to our God that has shown us so much grace and mercy, has provided, has given us purpose, and is leading us all the way through. Verse 27 says this, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. But those that have examined themselves, those that are in the family of God, those that humbly come to him, to receive, he freely gives. It says in, starting in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That we are your children sitting around the communion table, remembering the blood you shed, remembering your body, that you paid the price for us so we could be called righteous, we could be called children, Lord. We could be in your family calling your father, Father. Thank you, Lamb of God. And then as a down payment, received your Holy Spirit that empowers us, that corrects us, that guides us, that comforts us, Thank you for the story we read in your word today. 
this piece of history for us to understand how you operate with your people. How when we fall short, get scared, run away, how you draw us back, how you refresh us, how you give us provision, Lord, and how you touch us, oh God. Thank you, Lord. And then you put us back on mission and you supply everything, Lord, for us to even please you. Thank you for that, O oh God. Be glorified in your house, Lord, in each one of our hearts. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you. I read this all the time because it means so much. He that started a good work in you. It's not done. Will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you for that, oh God. No matter where we are, no matter what we go through, Lord. You are going to finish the work you started in us. Let's go out in the power of the Lord knowing that. Amen. God bless you.